The second tier of English football attracts talent from some of Europe's elite. Fast-flowing play, no-nonsense challenges and the unlikeliest of upsets have become commonplace. And the pay packet isn't too shoddy either. But for us, purveyors of obscure and nostalgic footballers, there's greater attraction in the championship's middle band. Those most at home at this level, birds of passage, players so championship, they bleed EFL. And it's these second tier stalwarts that make up our definitive championship 11. Welcome, Arthur. How's it going? Yes, very good. Thank you, Ben. What a wonderful intro. What a wordsmith you are. I just, I feel like the more episodes we do, the more we're falling into this trap of saying the exact same thing at the beginning of every episode. We use the same words. It's fairly formulaic, I'll be honest. But welcome to the podcast. We are the 11. We are two blokes who love just compiling random, obscure footballers through times gone by, uh, following a different theme each week. This week it is the definitive championship 11 players who sum up the second tier of English football for us. Uh, we're playing a 4-4-2 today and it's, it's been a, it's been one that's been enjoyable to research. I am a Southampton fan. I've experienced um, highs in the championship with Nigel Adkins season promotion uh, and lows with Jan Portfliet when we got <laughs> relegated from the championship. It's a great league. Ben, you're a Reading fan, seeing seeing it week in, week out. Yeah, a very championship team, Reading, I think, in all respects. And in many ways, that's what we're trying to conjure up in this episode. We won't be talking about the very best players at this level, the likes of Peter Whittingham that have won promotion, but rather the players that just feel so championship. The players' names that only really make sense when read out by Don Goodman or David Prutton. That's what we're after today. So if you have got any suggestions for us, at 11pod is where we're at on Twitter, and we'd love to hear from you. Goalkeeper, Ben. There's so many potential custodians. Who is it? Well, yeah, we were having a little bit of uh, banter earlier in the week, weren't we, about Paddy Kenny? who yes. felt incredibly championship. I couldn't disagree with you on that one. But actually, somehow I feel like Kenny's name has somewhat transcended the championship for no apparent reason due to a short spell in the Premier League. And so someone I'm going to go for just feels like he fits this so championship definitive 11. Uh, and that's Stephen Bywater. <laughs> I, Stephen. Oh, what oh, a player. Stephen Bywater, I think what I love most about Stephen Bywater is that you could name pretty much any championship team and it feels like Stephen Bywater's played for them. He just perfectly fits. I don't think I can pin him to any one particular club, but I guess Derby's probably springing to mind first. He did. He did play for Derby. Um, He actually has had 10 seasons in the championship, but he's played for seven different clubs during that time. Um, So what I said earlier isn't far from the truth. They include West Ham United, Coventry, Derby County, Ipswich, Cardiff, Sheffield Wednesday, Millwall and Burton Albion. So most championship fans will have had Stephen Bywater on their books at some point. He was also a reasonably decent goalkeeper at that level. He's 13th on the list of the most championship clean sheets with 81 um, any guesses who's top of that list? It's not Paddy Kenny, is it? It's actually not. No, it is oh. someone who's played a lot of championship games. It's Lee Camp. 
Oh, Lee Camp. Not Nottingham Forest. He played for so many. Birmingham as well, amongst others. Yeah. But going back to Stephen, he, uh, Bywater's career didn't get going in earnest until 2004-2005, which incidentally was the first season that the second tier was named the championship. He'd been attached to West Ham, but he'd had a series of underwhelming loan spells in the Football League. Um, and in that season in 2004-05, he played 36 games, significantly the most he'd played in his career so far, and helped West Ham to gain promotion to the Premier League. But he was somewhat harshly loaned out that summer to Coventry, only getting one appearance in the top flight. His most successful spell, uh, you're quite right, Arthur, it was at Derby, where he wore the number 43 shirt as a tribute to his mentor, Les Seeley, who died at the age of 43 in 2001. He said, Les looked after me most of the time. He took me to training every day, coached me and advised me on life. I know he's watching over me and that he wants me to do well. So that was for him. 40. I have to say, I was, I was naturally drawn to ridicule the number 43. And then I obviously heard the very touching story. Um, yeah, and now, yeah, now you just I mean like a dick, don't you? I, I really do. I'm, yeah, I, just, yeah. I, wish I, could, I wish I could withdraw that chuckle, oh, um, but I can't. We'll, we'll have to see if it makes the edit, won't we? In 2006-2007, he helped Derby reach the playoff final, beating West Brom and securing a place in the Premier League. Uh, so he did get to play at the highest level and he was even tipped for England. But sadly, that was Derby's horrific season where they got a record low points total. Um, and halfway through that season, he lost his place to Roy Carroll. So on his return to the championship, he found himself more at home and got back in between the sticks, if you like, playing for a number of championship clubs, as we mentioned. Just never worked out for him at Premier League level. I seem to remember him being a serious prospect. I think he was part of that incredible West Ham Academy, um, England under 21 caps. I think I saw him as potentially the next kind of Frankie Fielding, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. What high, what high token that is. I mean, Frankie <laughs> Fielding, another that could be in this definitive championship 11. As for Bywater off the pitch, he was a cheeky chappy, borderline inappropriate around the dressing room. The most strange article I read about Stephen Bywater came from September 2010, where he stirred controversy with regards to a provocative art installation in his garden. The installation, a horse box with mattresses and a sex doll strapped to it with graffiti sprayed on the side, brought complaints from the neighbours who described the piece as very ugly and an eyesore. This was apparently erected by Bywater as a hobby or art installation for the community, which he described as a masterpiece but it sub- subsequently turned out is actually to do with a dispute about land and his feeling that he actually owned the property. So he was trying to cre- create as much unpleasantness for the neighbours as possible. Let's move to left back. Arthur, you're on this one. Yes, let's move. I've gone for George Friend. <laughs> of course he has. <laughs> Very championship. Very championship. And actually a current championship player. He's played... 353 championship games and rising with five different clubs. Those are Wolves, Scunthorpe, Doncaster, Middlesbrough and Birmingham, where he currently is. He began his career down in Devon uh, with Paul Tisdale's Exeter in the conference. Yeah, I knew uh, that. And he helped them. Yeah, there we, our, our local our local team, Master University, mm-hmm. many games watched down there. Uh, he helped them to promotion from the conference and became Exeter's youngest ever captain along the way. And actually, I, 
I read an interview with Paul Tisdale in which he came to see his favourite players ever worked with. Wow. Um, just loved the guy. Absolutely loved him. Um, and I think part of that could have been because um, he regularly bought eggs from his family business in Devon in the dressing room. <laughs> oh, George. When he, um, when he signed for Borough later in his career, he gave every member of staff half a dozen when he signed, which, um, <laughs> which is just quite, quite the way of introducing yourself into a, uh, into a new team. The route out of Exeter was Wolves, uh, who signed up for £350,000, and that gave him his first taste of championship football. Um, he did struggle there, though. Uh, his teammate at the time, Dave Edwards, tells stories of George Friend's healthy lifestyle. He said on people's birthdays, they would bring a cake into the dressing room. George was different, however. He says, George bought in the most wonderful fruit platter you've ever seen. <laughs> It was definitely homemade. You'd never be able to buy that from anywhere. It was huge. It had your strawberries and stuff like that, but it also had tropical fruits like papaya and whatever, all chopped up. I'll never forget the way he chopped the pineapple. It looked like something out of a fancy restaurant. said George Friend at the beginning of this segment I didn't think this is where we were going to end up Arthur oh honestly what a guy Um, after a series of loans from Wolves he eventually left for Doncaster in search of regular football and he became a mainstay at left back there he became captain in his second year and won player of the year sadly though Doncaster were relegated and it was Middlesbrough who gave him the chance to stay in his favourite league He also became a fan's favourite there because of his consistent performances and off the pitch as well. He did numerous off-field events and won Community Player of the Year. Just an all-round great bloke, really. Wearer of shirt number three, which I think is is classic for a a left-back, as we've discussed on the 1-11. to And he was part of Middlesbrough's promotion-winning team in 2015-16. Similar to Bywater, though, they were dreadful in the Premier League Middlesbrough that was the team with Alvaro Negredo, Christian Stuani, players like that they just couldn't really score enough goals and so he swiftly returned to familiar surroundings in the championship I think what's really impressive as well is that whilst he was competing for Middlesbrough in the championship week in week out he completed a degree in sports journalism and underwent a period of work experience at the Northern Echo. And I just love the idea. It's very championship to be undertaking work experience whilst playing week in, week out. Yeah, that really is. I actually thought he was a great player. And when I've seen him live, what struck me is how tall he is for a fullback. Mm, absolute behemoth at the back. <laughs> he is a behemoth. <laughs> You're quite right. I love that shout, actually. George Friend is very championship. Yeah, there's also, for a left-back as well, his affection for nutmegs. Um, Mm. Match of the day asked him, do you keep a count of how many nutmegs you do per season? And he said, no, I don't keep a count. But my father-in-law, he spotted the part of my game as well. And he's bought me a little nutmeg jar with nutmegs written on it. But I haven't (laughs) kept topping it up every time I meg someone. (laughs) he loves a meg can't get enough of a meg Meg. he loves a meg he loves an egg and he knows how to cut a pineapple and for that reason alone he deserves to get into our definitive championship 11 uh really really well researched that one Arthur love it 
We always have a position that's up for grabs on the 11 podcast, if you've listened before. And this is where we get submissions in from sports journalists, sports personalities and friends of the show as well. So that's coming up later and it is the centre back, which is why I mentioned that now. But we do need someone to pair alongside that up for grabs player. And Arthur, I think you prepared that one. I have indeed. It's Jason Shackle. So championship. That is so, so championship. championship. The thing is, I think a lot of these championship players, it's hard to find people who have spent all of their career in the championship. They've all had at least a small taste of Premier League football. Mm. And it was the same with Jason Shackle. He started at Norwich and yeah. got a taste of Premier League football at a young age. Um, but he was a bit part player at that level. And then after their relegation, he became a regular at the heart of their defence. He became club captain under Peter Grant. Um, but sadly, the captaincy was removed by new manager Glenn Roder after Peter Grant was sacked and his form suffered as a result. Whilst he was at Norwich, um, I, I really enjoyed this interview for one reason. Did you think that was going in? Well, um, the header. Your header. My header? Can you have a header first? We just do the one. Well, me. No. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's close. My man. You get your facts right, boys, huh? I didn't. I just absolutely love the. I didn't. <laughs> Superb. Footballers often, I think, in interviews just nod along, and if someone's accused of getting a header that's just missed, he would have been like, "Yeah." Yeah, mm-hmm. shame. But it's just his brutal honesty that I think is brilliant there. Um, his next spell was with Wolves, uh, where he struggled for first-team football. And what I thought was brilliant is that in 2009, he achieved a feat that surely must be unique. He went on loan with Norwich after falling out of favour at Wolves and was relegated from the Championship with Norwich. But having played 12 games earlier in the season for Wolves... He also earned a championship winner's medal when Wolves won the title. So really? he, was only, he was relegated and won the league. <laughs> that is an incredible feat. Because I remember I actually, Richie DeLayet, do you remember him? He, um, Former Man U trainee. He did a, well, a similar thing, but two successes where he actually won the championship on his loan spell with Villa, as well as the Premier League with Leicester. So he actually got two winner's medals in one season. Love that. We love a unique take on, on the 11. And that's, yeah. that's two unique feats there. His career, I would say, is very friendian in the sense that he was subsequently loaned to Doncaster, where he was a roaring success. He won Player of the Year and earned a permanent move to Barnsley. Similar to Friend 2, his 10 straight seasons in the Championship were punctuated by an untimely promotion to the Premier League, this time with Burnley. Um, he too was unable to keep his club in the Premier League before he headed back to the Championship. Um, he actually went to Derby. Uh, he had a productive first campaign, but his playing time then began to wane. He too is a bit of a monolith at the back. He really <laughs> Six is. Foot four, a commanding centre-back. He was a real leader at the back, emphasised by the captaincies he's held throughout his career. 398 championship appearances, seven different clubs. Yes, he had stints in the Premier League, very, very brief, but he just sums the championship up for me. He really does. I love your coining of the phrase friendian there. 
almost like a Freudian slip. It's not. It's a Friendian football career. Certainly Jason's had that. And right back, Ben? Yeah, alongside him, another classic championship name from me, Martin Craney. Martin Craney. That's brilliant. I was actually considering for left back Stephen Craney. So <laughs> potentially potentially Craney is just a very championship name. It really is a championship name. And actually in our research, that was one of the things I noticed. Anyone whose name ends in something like Wood sounds very championship, don't they? Westwood. <laughs> yeah. Words worth. That very championship yes. names. Um, Craney was one too. And he's an, he was an archetypal championship fullback, still is in fact. Uh, not flash, not especially quick, made the odd howler, but generally fairly dependable. Versatile, could play as a centre-half as well, but seemingly just not quite good enough for Premier League level. Uh, Craney showed this in a handful of top-flight appearances for Southampton, Portsmouth and Huddersfield but really never maintain that position at the highest level. But any thoughts on his Southampton career, Arthur? I know it was he was young and it was a while ago. Very much. I think he was a an academy player coming through. I thought maybe this guy's got the uh, got the talent that he needed, but he didn't. It was very similar to Matt Mills, actually, a former Reading player, both mm. trainees at, at Premier when we were in the Premier League and just never quite made the cut. Stephen Craney actually was also Southampton, so... I mean, it's just, you know, they all get their stint with Southampton, just can't quite can't quite fulfil it and then go down to the championship. Amazing. The degrees of separation closing in here. Um, Martin Craney spent the majority of his career in the championship. He played 344 championship games across 15 seasons, and that included nine different clubs. So impressive championship definitive stats there. Um, Southampton, QPR, Charlton, Coventry, Barnsley, Huddersfield, Borough, Sheffield United and Luton Town. It's just a list of championship classics, isn't it? That So the fact that he played for all of them is brilliant. His best spell was between 2009 and 2014 during five championship seasons at Coventry and Barnsley. At Coventry, he was part of a back four with any combination of Ben Turner, Marcus Hall, Stephen Wright, Elliot Ward and Patrick Van Arnholt, which took me a bit by surprise. He was a stalwart of that side, first name on the team sheet in many of those games. But Coventry were always in a relegation battle, finishing 18th, 19th and then 23rd. And that relegation sparked his move to Barnsley. At Barnsley, he provided much-needed stability and was popular in the dressing room, earning two consecutive Players' Player of the Season awards. And he did seem to be a great character, uh, Martin Craney. There's some videos of him online, uh, a great shot of him singing Angels by Robbie Williams in a pair of his boxer shorts at the Sheffield United promotion party, and another randomly singing Away in a Manger on the promotion bus parade, despite it being the middle of May. But I think my fondest find about Martin Craney was this video in which, somewhat strangely, he's asked by the Luton Town media team to pass his comment on the latest Queen's speech. You know, it's it's a bit of history probably, you know, that she come out and done this in this time. And I think, you know, what she, it'll be remembered what she said and it'll be remembered for what, what everyone does in these times to how we move forward. 
<laughs> I love the fact that he says it in the most football way possible. It's just, you know, <laughs> she's she's come out and said, you know, we've got to stay and do it, you know, give it all 110%. Yeah, it's just brilliant. Queen, um, the manager, the manager, the gaffer. Yeah, this just seems even off the field, Martin Cranier's definitive championship. Gaps appearing here for Borough to work with. Friend will hit it early. Oh my, oh word. my word! What a goal! You have got to be kidding me, George Friends. Today we're naturally discussing the pure championship names, those that are almost synonymous with the second tier of English football. But throughout modern times, um, there have also been a number of names that you ne- wouldn't necessarily expect to have seen at championship level um, or who just don't quite feel right. And we're going to discuss a few of those now as a break from the eleven. I've prepared a little quiz for you, Arthur, and you can get involved oh, no. at home um, at 11 pods if you've got any thoughts on it. So we've got 11 names appropriate for the podcast. They've either had one spell in the championship with one club or they haven't played in the championship at all. And I need you to decipher who of these 11 have played in the championship and who haven't. Are you up for the task? I'm I'm nervous, Ben. Okay. I think there've been, there've been points where I've embarrassed myself in these quizzes before in the past. So, uh, Hopefully my championship knowledge is still fresh. I have every confidence in you. First name, Ricardo, the former Portugal goalkeeper. I could see him having played for like... No, in fact, I'm going to go no. He did. He played for oh. Leicester for one season in 2011. Bizarre. That's tough. Yeah. Interesting signing. What about Vicente, the, the former Valencia winger? Yeah, I'm confident that he played for Brighton. Yeah, well done. Always thought that bizarre between 2011 yeah. <laughs> and 2013. Peter Halmosey. Barnsley? No, but he did play. It was Plymouth, oh, 06, Plymouth. 08. Yeah, God, I didn't actually... I can't, I can't even remember Plymouth and the Championship. That's yeah, serious. <laughs> right at the beginning of the Championship era, he yeah. played for them. Luke Wilkshire, the Australian international. Oh, um... I mean, I'm assuming some of these are, are no, so I'm going to go no. You're right to go no, but this completely bamboozled me. I feel like he's <laughs> the most championship name of this list, and he hasn't yeah. played at championship level. He actually played 21 games in the Premier League with Borough and then skipped down two divisions to play 100-plus games in League One with Bristol City, but never played in the bizarre. championship. Yeah, I think bizarre. I've only got that through pure luck of, of basically trying to guess the the rhythm of these uh yeah these i mean luke wiltshire that's that's a mad one moritz volts um well of course he was he was fulham mm. i reckon he probably played for them in the championship he did play in the championship but not for fulham actually not played for, for ipswich in 08 09 ah, okay what about habib bay <laughs> for either newcastle or villa i reckon yes he did play in the championship, but not for either of those. Oh, no. He played for Doncaster in 2011-12. Wow. I know. That's crazy. That is a really <laughs> odd one. Uh, here's, here's one. Eve Macalambe, the former Chelsea reserve goalkeeper. Was he the one who was about six foot ten? He was massive, yeah. Still I think probably. he I reckon he came on a loan to a championship side. You're not wrong in what you've said, but he actually never played in the championship, but he did go on loan to Swansea. Oh, 
just didn't. Play. Oh, fair play, fair play. That's a real trick one. Tough. Gavin McCann. I mean, <laughs> from the look on your face, I think he hasn't played, but I would expect him to have played. Yeah, I don't know how he hasn't played in the championship. Never. It, no, never played. It is a trick question. He did actually play uh, in Division One for Sunderland in 1998, ah. but never seen in the championship since. JJ Akotcha. No. This has absolutely thrown my world upside down. In 07-08, JJ Okocha played in the championship for Hull. Hull? When did that happen? That's that's completely baffled me. So so that's post-Bolton? Post-Bolton, he played for Hull. I I completely missed that. No idea that had happened. It's crazy. Doesn't feel right. I had to Google it just to make sure that I was correct in saying that. Mental. Two more. Hmm. Sean Davis. Yes. Yes, but Bristol City, 11-12. Again, Fulham in my mind. Yeah, final one, Mark Delaney. I mean, he is the most championship player ever. (laughs) He's got, no, come on, he's got to be, surely. No, never played in the championship. He went from third division Cardiff all the way up to Villa and uh, never, never moved back down again. So there you go. Ages. It's Some of those are so niche, those spells. Really bizarre. Yeah, took a bit of research that, but uh, let us know how you got on at 11 pods. Can you beat Arthur's score? I don't even know what you got, Arthur, to be honest. Probably, I think, maybe like nine, ten. Something like that. Maybe even 11. (laughs) Our left midfield today is Lloyd Dyer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a name that came up in my research too often. I just think in a in a world of dyers where we've got Nathan, we've got Kieran, hmm. Lloyd's often the overlooked dyer. And I think now this is the this is the stage he needed to be discussed in. Beautifully put. You're you're right. Out of all the dyers, he is the most championship dyer. He begun his career as a trainee at West Brom and he was used as an impact sub. Uh, the baggies enjoyed utilizing his pace against tiring legs. That was the main feature of his uh, his game, his his absolutely electric burst of pace. He had his first experience of England's second tier in its last season as League One in 2003-04. He scored two goals, and this was followed by a couple of loans to the Championship. But he, at a tender age, couldn't wrestle a starting berth and eventually wound up at League Two MK Dons. He earned another crack at the Championship, Uh, By playing brilliantly for MK Dons, he scored 11 goals in his second season there. And after winning League Two Player of the Month, uh, Chris Kamara said of him, one of Lloyd Dyer's great strengths is his energy. He's able to motor up and down the left side all day and provide terrific service to his strikers. He's also added goals to his game this month. And I think alongside the pace, there's that endurance and the fact that he's constantly running he must have just been an absolute pest to play against I totally agree and I don't know how you feel about this but supporting a championship club I feel like Lloyd Dyer is the player that every single championship side gets linked with every time it gets to January and your your goals are drying up there's always this rumor of oh we could get Lloyd Dyer in yeah Lloyd Dyer could do a job. Do a job, yeah. (laughs) He's your classic could-do-a-job winger. (laughs) 
<laughs> so true. His former MK Dons saw him move to League One Leicester, who he fired to promotion with another 10 league goals. And then back in the championship, he established himself as such a quality championship player. Um, over the next five years at Leicester, he scored goals. He provided assists um, with his skillful runs down the left wing. His most successful championship campaign came in the final year of his contract. He scored seven goals, uh, the final of which was a stunning one to settle the tie against Bolton and to crown Leicester championship champions. Uh, He cuts in on his right foot and delivers an absolute howitzer into the top corner. Um, What a goal it is. Such was his thirst for championship football, though, that he turned down a new contract offer at new Premier League side Leicester and signed for Championship Watford, which I found quite interesting. (laughs) Allegedly, it was because Watford offered three years, whereas Leicester only gave him a one-year contract offer. It wasn't to work out for him there. He clearly hated the manager. Uh, He scored his first league goal for Watford in a 2-0 win at Rotherham United and followed his goal by appearing to shout abuse towards the bench at manager Giuseppe Sanino. His career did spark to life once more with two productive seasons at Burton as a 34-year-old, seven goals in each season he scored, just a quality championship presence. Like you say, could do a job, always offering output. I feel like he did miss an opportunity to be considered a national icon. Um, His brother, Wayne Dyer, played for Montserrat. Wayne was a bit of a non-league journeyman. And I think the idea of Lloyd playing for Montserrat is pretty crazy. He could have been sort of a Lyle Taylor ahead of his time, um, lighting up the shores of Montserrat with his electric wing play. Um, but sadly, I think probably wanted caps for England. They never came. And, uh, and so he didn't play international football. That's a great pick. Really happy to get Lloyd Dyer into one of our sides. Shall we move to centre midfield? I'm really conscious that all of the players we've selected so far, Arthur, are English-born. And I think that's almost like a stereotype with the championship, that it's all kind of quite physical and big, burly Englishman, you know, Saturday at three o'clock. But the championship's changed immeasurably over the years. And one of the things that's changed the style of football is this influx of players coming over from Europe and seeing the second tier in England as one of the best leagues in the world, somewhere that they can go and earn decent money and impress and one day perhaps make it into the Premier League. So I wanted to include a foreign player who, for me, embodied that kind of transfer. And I've gone for Guy Moosey. (laughs) Moosey. Guy Moosey. (laughs) What a player. Was he Nottingham Forest? He was Nottingham Forest. Um, (laughs) Guy signed from Angers, in France, um, Forest were looking for an athlete in the centre of their midfield in 2008, and they got just that. Moussi was a six foot two defensive midfielder, a big lad built, a real enforcer in the centre of the park, but decent with his feet too. And he was classic championship. I remember watching him in a game against Reading and thinking he was absolutely outstanding. So I followed his career keenly, only to find it didn't really progress far beyond Forest. And looking up Forest fan reviews and forums, it seems that he had this impeccable ability to go from being an unreal footballer to a complete donkey within the space <laughs> of half a week. He was born in Bondi 
in France. Um, he spent six seasons playing in France, making 120 appearances and scoring two goals. And he was apparently very sceptical about coming over to the UK. He'd heard that the challenges were somewhat rough. And having seen a training session where Julian Bennett had put in a crunching challenge at the city grounds, <laughs> he was concerned. But he did make the decision, having heard about the history of Forrest and Brian Clough and the fact that he was playing for a team that had previously won the European Cup. He'd make 136 league appearances for Forrest in six seasons in the championship. He scored his first goal three minutes into added time in a 1-0 win over Barnsley. But his over-enthusiastic celebration would earn him a second yellow card and result in him being sent off. So um, he didn't quite get used to that aspect of the English game. And he was part of, for me, one of the most iconic championship-feeling midfields, which was Forrest in the late noughties. I'm thinking Andy Reid, Lewis McGugan, Radoslav Majewski and Paul Anderson. Just very championship names. Forrest yeah. were always in and around the playoffs, but never quite good enough to go up. It really just felt very championship to me. He would also play for Millwall and Birmingham City, having left Forrest, but he barely played for them, two or three appearances for each, before finishing his career at HJK Helsinki. One thing I enjoyed learning was Moosey had become a bit of a cult hero because of his imposing physique and all action performances and the fact that he was either brilliant or a donkey. Um, And so there are some wonderful quotes from Forrest fans online where they paint a picture of him as Forrest's Chuck Norris. It reads, there's no control button on Guy Moosey's computer. Guy Moosey is always in control. (laughs) Guy Moosey once visited the Virgin Islands after he left they were renamed the Islands (laughs) and finally Guy Moosey can speak Braille that's so good he's he's a great character Um, he's still very well thought of at the city ground when he visits and uh, for me a very championship player I think there's something lovely about a foreign player who comes over to England and strikes up this brilliant relationship with the fans he's still a massive Nottingham Forest fan uh tweeting about you know come on you come on you not well I don't what do you come on you not Forest (laughs) wow wow he's really got in with the fan lingo there (laughs) what an icon (laughs) a true red who's alongside him in the center of the midfield yes joining him in the center of the park it is Neil Dans Yes, Arthur, yes. Yes, yes, Neil. What a guy. He was actually, I don't know whether you know, best mates with Tony Bellew since the age of 11. Really? Yeah. Is he a scouser then? Yeah, they both grew up in South Liverpool. Okay. Um, Neil actually went on to Tony's podcast and told at the time that they wrestled for an hour in Tony's bedroom over a FIFA game until Tony's mum came in to find out what was going on. Um, it came down to who had the best headlock. Uh, and Tony also remembers the time that Neil beat him on a punching machine in Ayanapa, which is a wow. pretty good effort. Yeah. Well Neil. I'm impressed by that. Yeah. He had time in the championship with Leicester City and Bolton, but it's really his time at Crystal Palace that sticks in the mind for me. Uh, he was a creative, skillful and purposeful midfielder with surging runs forward. 
Um, he was a menace in the centre of the park for the Eagles. Uh, and he notched eight goals in consecutive seasons. Doogie Friedman, who was his manager at both Palace and Bolton, a- admired his industry, uh, his ability to adapt his style of play to match situations and the way, and he quoted, he gets you off your seat and makes things happen. Uh, and I think that's a very championship thing. Big fish in a small pond. Neil Dan's never really had any chances in the Premier League, but I always felt like he was a kind of cut above, really. I'm not saying he was one of the best championship midfielders ever, but he, he just he just did a he did a really exciting role in the centre of the park and entertained the fans a lot. I remember in the summer of 2010-11, uh, Southampton was strongly linked with him uh, and allegedly he turned down a move to us. We were then in League One, but that hadn't stopped us tempting Jose Font down a division to join us in League One. I was so excited about the prospect of Neil Dans appearing alongside Morgan Schneiderlin. I couldn't, <laughs> honestly, I couldn't contain my excitement. <laughs> I can um, understand that. But save for two appearances with Birmingham and a handful of chances as a youth player at Blackburn, he never had his shot in the Premier League. He went on to have a few spells in the lower leagues, including three seasons with Berry. Um, upon their expulsion from the Football League, he was vocally critical of the role of the owner, who, in his view, had literally destroyed lives by his failure to progress the club in a proper manner. Yeah, because I believe he was their captain when they were expelled. And I know he did quite a lot behind the scenes to try and help Berry back to its feet again. So it was nice to see that, that he didn't see himself as too big for that situation, really. Quite right in the sense of not seeing himself as too big. He is actually at the age of 39 still playing Mm. uh, for Macclesfield. Great. Northwest Counties League Premier Division. And he scored nine goals in 14 games. Obviously, that's the the Phoenix club of of Macclesfield, the Mm. reformed Macclesfield. So he clearly has an affinity with these clubs who've come upon hard times and been treated unfairly, perhaps. Internationally, he played for Guyana. Uh, He qualified uh, through his grandfather, And he actually helped them qualify for the Gold Cup in 2019, the first time uh, that nation had in their history. Uh, And he scored three goals in three games as Guyana earned a credible draw with Trinidad and Tobago, which is a huge result for them, considering they'd never played in the tournament before. He scored an absolutely stunning strike off the underside of the bar from the edge of the area. And he made it into group stage best 11, which is an, an enormous achievement, considering... USA and Mexico are kind of the giants of that competition. There's also a brilliant goal he scored for Blackpool earlier in his career, where there's a great video on YouTube. Basically, he scores this absolute pile driver from 30 yards, again, in off the underside of the bar. Great goal. And he runs off to celebrate and you see the referee running alongside him, basically pumping his fists. And everyone's, (laughs) it went viral because everyone's like, referee celebrates goal but I think it's I think he's running towards the away fans and the referee's trying to dis- gesticulate to him and say no 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 go back to go back to the middle oh, cracking video good old Neil I couldn't help but notice just now Arthur perusing Neil Dan's Wikipedia page that his namesake father was relatively famous as well do you know why no I don't <laughs> Neil senior was a backing singer on the UK's entry in the 1987 Eurovision Song Contest, as well as a European title-winning skateboarder. 
Wow. What fantastic a dad. dad. I know. That's cool brilliant. That? Music clearly runs in the family because Neil is producing music now. And I think he sings as well. He's done some great um, renditions of Kings of Leon across the years. Sadly, I tried to find this. I've basically found links to the video with various comments saying, what a voice. But I can't actually find the video itself, which is a shame. Or maybe him and Martin Craney can pair up as part of this definitive 11 and and launch a, a new career for themselves. Absolutely. Right midfield, Wade Elliott. Oh, yeah, that, that is such a championship name. It Burnley through and through, isn't it? Yeah, it feels it, doesn't it? This is someone who's worked his way up from the very bottom, but reached his level, I think, in the championship. Um, a hard-working, wide player, savvy, pragmatic, also capable of playing in central midfield, which he did quite a lot later in his career. Elliot began playing football as a youth player for Southampton. You seem to have a lot of these. Before joining non-league Bashley. Um, If you don't know, like me, where Bashley is, they they play their football in the Wessex League Premier Division. Uh, They have a striking stag logo. uh, And their greatest achievement was reaching the second round of the FA Cup in 1994. They were in the Southern League Southern Division when Wade was there. Um, which he was there for three years before being taken on by Bournemouth. He'd spend six seasons flitting between the third and second divisions, playing consistently from the start, managing 37 goals in 257 games for the Cherries. But like you say, the team he's best known for is Burnley. That was where he was most successful. He played championship football, became one of the club's most influential players, winning Player of the Year awards for two consecutive seasons. Uh, And in the 2007-2008 season, he committed his future to the club with a three-year contract, which he paid back in one fell strike, really, Arthur. Um, He helped Burnley win promotion to the Premier League by scoring the only goal in the playoff final. A 25-yard curling shot, which captured the media attention and potentially earned Burnley up to £60 million for playing in the Premier League. Fair play. I think the the player who scores that goal always goes down in that club's history. You remember the Dean Windass strike for Hull City in the final? What a strike that was. I I love love that. that. (laughs) I love that too. Oh, don't we just love that? Wade um, did play in the Premier League. He'd score in his first Premier League game, in fact, against Everton. But um, ultimately, at that point in their in their history, Burnley weren't quite good enough to stay there and returned to the Championship. Wade reflected, it's a cliche, but the squad was full of life and stories and people you wanted to be around. Whenever you go back to Burnley, people want to talk about that squad and that year because there were so many good moments. So he loved playing for the club and they loved having him on their books. He would actually play five further championship seasons in his career, two with Burnley and then three with Birmingham City before concluding his career in League One with Bristol City. He'd get them promoted as their captain, uh, but he wouldn't play a final season in the championship, retiring and moving into coaching. But I think quite rightly, you mentioned Burnley. I think this guy will predominantly be remembered for his influence in the championship with that side. And he just feels right for this 11. Not flashy, just very championship. Into the path of McCann. Good challenge. 
And the follow-up finds the net. What a strike from Wade Elliott. We've had so many iconic championship strike forces over the years. I can't wait to see who you're putting in our 11, Arthur. There are so many players who've lit up the championship by scoring goal after goal after goal. You know, the likes of Ricky Lambert, Ivan Toney, and I think even Craig McHale-Smith was lighting up the championship one stage. Mm. There are, however, strikers who have spent almost all of their career in the championship, bafflingly so. And one such striker is Luke Varney. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, Luke. This is it. He's in. So this is a player who rose to prominence in the 2006-07 League One campaign. He rifled in 25 goals in 42 matches and earned a £2 million switch to Championship side Charlton. But I think the wonderful thing is, as I've said, how unbelievably average he was. He played <laughs> for nine... I mean, I mean, I'm really sorry, Luke, if you're listening. <laughs> he played for nine championship clubs, making 340 appearances. He scored 49 goals, which is one in seven on average. And that was after a reasonably prolific start by his standards. With Blackburn, Ipswich and Burton, who were his last three championship clubs, he scored six goals in 100 games. That's one every 16 and a half games for a striker. I mean, to be fair, he may have been coming off the bench, but you're quite right to mention that because I think most, most strikers that are prolific at the second tier do get that shot at the big time. I think, did Varney play for Blackpool at one point? He did. That was his one shot at the big time. And actually, that's that's probably the highlight of his career. It was in 2010, he scored four goals in his opening 11 appearances. So he was starting to become prolific and in the Premier League. And that included a winner against Liverpool and an absolutely sensational dipping half volley against Wolves. Unbelievable goal. But most of his career was fairly average let's say so when he played for Leeds United there's a great post from a guy called Ken Demange who has a Leeds blog called Fear and Loathing in LS11 he says Luke buys into the best possible mantra if you're going to be crap at least be funny his misses (laughs) are epic rather than merely lackluster last season's Capital One miss against Saints still defies description his sulks too have a certain je ne sais quoi about them the elegant simplicity of a bowed head and a frown, archetypal classic schoolboy stuff, which I just love. I mean, he he at least entertained the fans with his averageness. That miss, by the way, is, I think, the worst miss I've ever seen. It's worse than Chris Iwalumu, worse than Kanu. It's just unbelievable. A section of his Wikipedia also is devoted to diving controversies across his career okay um ian holloway neil redfern nigel pearson have all accused him of it and i think it's it seemed to plague his career uh, to an extent he went over very easily he also had a spell at portsmouth and luke says that portsmouth was probably the funniest period in football when there's stuff happening off the pitch that you can't really control you've got to create a certain level of enjoyment at the training ground 
Benjani loved his cricket and we'd play in the corridor next to the treatment room and manager's office. They had to change a few plasterboards, I can tell you. I'd send him a few bouncers down early to soften him up before taking out his middle stump. One time, there was a disgusting smell coming from my locker. When I opened it up, there was a pig's head in there with a fag hanging out of his mouth. I had to wash my clothes three times. That was revenge from Big Kev. I think I turned his washing machine off a few times during mid-cycle. Oh, put a dye tablet in there. I like. I cannot. It's like the um. What was the retribution story you told on a past episode? Oh yeah, it was with um Jonathan it was, Greening's car, wasn't it? And he put rats in there. Or yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. Just, when, it's when the retribution is just wholly unfitting the original yeah. crime. He turned his washing machine off mid-cycle. Like, oh, I mean, gosh. come on. Yeah. And also, I was interested to try and work out who Big Kev is. Yeah. I looked at Portsmouth's team and I couldn't find a Kevin in their team. All I could find was a Kelvin. And I'm, not, I'm not sure I want to know what Big Kev is on the basis that you explaining that Luke Varney took out Benjani's middle stump sounded like <laughs> a euphemism in and of itself. But but you're right. I, I think fair play to Luke. He's had a great career. And like Bywater, you could name any championship club. And I wouldn't bat an eyelid if Luke Varney was on the bench this weekend. It, it <laughs> just feels right, doesn't it? And I have to say, we have discussed in this podcast before, I've rather cruelly ripped apart his his goal scoring record, but strikers are more than just goal scorers. They are assist makers as well. You have strikers who are the perfect strike partner, and perhaps that's what these clubs saw. They saw Luke Varney as just a, a vital component up front. I haven't done a deep dive into the strike ratios of his strike partner, but um, potentially they were prolific. And one final thing, I found that Somewhat romantically, his career both started and ended at his local semi-professional side in Leicestershire, uh, who were called Quorn, and mm. they made 50k from his sale to Charlton uh, in a sell-on clause. And so when he played for them at the end of his career, he played in front of the stand that his sale had financed, which That's I just incredible. quite, I found that a really lovely touch. That is wicked. Oh, I love that. Good on you, Quorn. Um, hopefully someone's listening from Corn. We, we need a striker in that case who's going to bag some goals. And there is nobody in this team more championship than Marcus Tudgay. <laughs> Marcus. <laughs> Marcus Tudgay was five foot nine. He probably still is. He played in 11 consecutive championship seasons. 13, if you include the two before the championship was so named. He was never promoted. He was never particularly prolific. An agile, fox-in-the-box type striker, but not an absolute star. His top championship haul was 14 for Sheffield Wednesday, so exactly one goal in three. Um, But he also played for Derby, Forest, Barnsley and Charlton. Tudgai's best spell was early-ish in his career, actually, and that was at Sheffield Wednesday. He was ruled out at the start of the 2006-2007 season because of a bizarre injury. It does get better, by the way. I, I realise I've just said that this is the best bit of his career and he was out injured. Um, he sustained the injury at a family barbecue over the summer, cutting his toe on glass, severing tendons and requiring oh, no. surgery that would keep him out for three months. Wow. 
Not good, Marcus. Uh, but yeah. on his return, he was in goal-scoring form. He'd score in the Steel City derby. He'd score twice in the opening game uh, against Burnley in 2008-2009. The first coming within 30 seconds of kickoff. And he played in almost every position that season, seen as someone that could be thrown on off the bench or switched positions mid-game to accommodate the team's tactics. He won the Fans Player of the Month awards for February and March in 2009 and also the PFA Fans Championship Player of the Year award, as well as the Sheffield Wednesday Player of the Year award. So incredible, really, that he he had that brilliant spell in 08-09 and we thought maybe he'd go on to big things. But like I said, it never came for him. I find it interesting that I'm seeing that in 2010, the summer of 2010, Ian Holloway, at Blackpool in the Premier League had, had made a made an inquiry about Marcus Tudgate and he and Sheffield Wednesday didn't accept it. They they uh, they called the sum offered, I think it was 500k as derisory. He then went on to to make 17 appearances and scored two goals in League One after yeah. their relegation. No <laughs> so idea. I, I felt I felt like that's probably quite good that Holloway's offer was rejected. Probably a good thing, yeah. I really enjoyed reading this story. Essentially, in a nutshell, there was a a chap from Brazil called Rafael Marquez, and he actually hails from the same town um, that Pele, Cafu, Neymar and Rivellino came from. So he's been surrounded by brilliant football all his life. However, (laughs) I think I can see where this is going. (laughs) He claims that his favourite ever player is Marcus Tudgay. He says, I played a lot of FIFA. All I would do is play football and play FIFA. I searched for a team I could build up and I found Sheffield Wednesday. I wanted a team with a good striker. And at that time they had Marcus Tudgay. And that was it. When I saw that, I just love football. There was something that changed within me. I thought, wow, this team is massive. And this is my team now. The first thing I did when I arrived in Sheffield for a journey was to buy the Tudgay shirt with the long sleeves. I needed that. We're not going to be a prolific scoring team. We're going to have to rely on some Neil Dan skulls from centre midfield, I feel. Well, we've always got Lloyd Dyer and we know he can do a job. Gives it straight to Tudgay, who now motors forward. Clark trying to get in position for him. And Tudgay... Let's return to Up for Grabs. It was the centre-back we missed out today. We come back to it and we are delighted to have a nomination in from Ryan Dilks. Ryan is the host of the Second Tier podcast. Um, If you want to listen to people speak actual sense about the championship, this is the place to go. The Second Tier pod, thoroughly recommend it. Um, He's a good man to recommend a centre-back here. Hello, chaps. So if you're looking for a defender who is the epitome of the championship, I cannot think of anyone more suitable than Richard Keogh. He is championship through and through. He's come close to promotion a few times, but was never going to get actually promoted because he's cursed and is just born to play in the championship for the rest of time, whether he likes it or not. I mean, he's had, what, 10 years in the championship now and to be fair to him he's done all right in that time he's been probably the most consistent defender over the past decade or so and he's been really really good but because he's got these bulging eyes that never seem to blink and he's just this hate figure 
that opposition fans just love to hate but at the same time if he's on your team you love to have him in your side because he is passionate but at the same time um, just championship isn't he that's all you can say about him so I cannot think of anyone who deserves to be in your so championship 11 more than Mr Richard Keogh of course Richard Keogh I mean (laughs) there isn't really a more championship name than that right yeah that's such a classic championship name and I've gone for a nomination too I've chosen Mark Hudson. <laughs> yes, okay. I've not got anything that funny to say about Mark Hudson. I just feel like he's a classic championship centre-back. 408 appearances with four clubs. Those were Palace, Charlton, Cardiff and Huddersfield. He helped Cardiff reach the playoffs in his first three seasons, suffering defeat each time uh, before they eventually won promotion to the Premier League in 2013. He took up yoga as another way to regain his fitness. By the time he departed Cardiff City, he was described by Wales Online as a resolutely old-fashioned family man. Nice. So a very championship quality. Yeah, brilliant. I can imagine a lot of games at championship level for Mark Hudson as well. Good pick. I want to add into our poll list, Sean St. Ledger. Yes, he's... oh. I can't think of him in any other context than Preston North End Championship. Yeah, he did play for his country, actually. He was the only scorer for Ireland uh, at Euro 2012, in fact. But he had 11 seasons in the Championship, primarily with Preston, but also with Middlesbrough, Leicester, Millwall and Ipswich. He was involved in playoff battles, relegation scraps. He's really had it all, to be honest. Um, And the interesting thing about him, a picture emerged after a night out where he was hugging Taylor Swift. And this sparked rumours around the footballing games that they were actually dating. Um, But in the end, he cleared up. We ended up talking and having a picture taken. We just got chatting for five minutes and she was really down to earth. That was it. It was my girlfriend that took the picture. It (laughs) sealed the deal for me, that he had to be in this poll when I went to the football the other week at the Medeski or the select car leasing it as it is is now. And he was in the row in front of me. So I had to put him in then. Yeah. So head over to Twitter at 11pods. It's your votes that decide who the other centre-back is going to be in the definitive Championship eleven. On the bench, and for me... There was only one name that really stood out, Patrick Agyamang. (laughs) I saw him score an absolutely stunning 40-yarder for QPR against Southampton at St Mary's. And he's always a player that's just summed the division up for me. Yeah. Um, That kind of striker who gets your goals. He just, he does a job too. Um, but we've already got one who's done a job, so uh, yeah, we don't need to. We we certainly don't. Uh, and someone else who did a job but is only good enough for the bench is Brunyard Gunnarsson. Classic Reading name there. Yes. Um, and joining him, someone who I think can feel very hard done by, uh, is Gary McSheffrey. <laughs> I, I, it feels very championship, that. But someone had to miss out. You can't have everyone in this squad. So running you through the definitive Championship eleven, In goal, we have Stephen Bywater, left-back George Friend, right-back Martin Craney. In the middle, Jason Shackle alongside one of your choice. In the centre of the park, we've got Neil Dans and Guy Moosey. On the left, Lloyd Dyer. On the right, Wade Elliott. And up front, 
a lethal strike partnership of Luke Varney and Marcus Tudgay. How championship is that? Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.